interview. And it is an absolutely exciting interview because it is with my husband who is a phenomenal hiker, an absolutely outstanding person, and has an exorbitant amount of experience across hiking with groups, hiking without gear, some really dramatic stories, and it is my absolute pleasure to share that interview with you guys today. So some of the topics that we're going to cover are how to get outside without gear, some experience, some maps, um, you know, hiking in Iceland. He's got a really exciting story, um, a lot of my interjections. So with that, I would like to introduce Fernando. Fernando is from Chile in Santiago. Um, he lived in the U.S. for seven years while he was getting his doctorate in astronomy at Harvard. And that is where we met. We met in Boston at a rock climbing gym at Broken Boulders, and we started climbing, we started dating, and the rest is history. Um, so we have gone on many different types of ventures together. Um, he is an absolutely phenomenal supporter of everything and anything outdoors. So we have gone hiking together. We have done, we've never gone backpacking together, but we've gone hiking together. We've done a lot of trails together. We went bike touring, which is a phenomenal way to be outside. Uh, we did van life for several months, um, and now we are in the process of going to move to Patagonia, which is with the pure intention of um, of purchasing a large piece of land to do camping, hiking, and reforestation projects. So fully integrated into outdoor mentality. And with that, I would love for you guys to go ahead and dive in. It is a little bit of a long episode, and I hope that you enjoy. Um, go ahead and grab anything you want for the podcast, and we'll see you guys in a second. Welcome back. So, do you want to go ahead and say hi? Yes. Uh, hi. Thank you for having me on your show. Hi, welcome. You want to tell everyone who you are? Well, I am Fernando Becerra. I'm Katie's husband. And um, I do data science, data visualization for a living. I studied astronomy and I love being outdoors. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, let's start with some important questions. One, what's your favorite color? Very important question. Very important questions. Uh, teal. Teal. Why? Yeah. <laughs> Why? I just like it. You it's love a, teal. It's a matter of taste. Yeah. Okay, what's your favorite snack for the trail? Uh, like nuts in general. Mm, uh, like trail mix? Mixed with, yeah, mixed with chocolate, like M&M's might mm. be a good option. Yeah. You're really good at making homemade trail mix. Yeah, mixing it with like dried fruits also helps a little bit. Um, that's really good. Yeah, there was a, vi a visual head nod there. No yeah. We could see that, but yes. Okay, and last very important icebreaker question. What was the worst place that you've ever hiked? Uh, there are a couple. One. Just, just tell your top one right now. Uh, I will say one that... Um, I didn't have the right company, so we were not on the same page, mm. and so things were like very bad in some sense. But yeah, I, I so because of the group you went with, because of the people, uh, <laughs> not because of the landscape. Oh, the landscapes okay. are awesome. Yeah, yeah, like having a good partner is actually very important when hiking. 
yeah. otherwise it can go like really bad especially versus solo hiking like when you're solo hiking you get to do whatever you want whenever you want however you want uh but you're on your own right there's that yeah. contrast and in some way i was used to that so like going hiking with other people is always an issue for me because i need to adapt my pace to them but it's part of being outdoors with people so. well you hike really fast i do <laughs> Hiking with Feffy. Let me intro this. Hiking with Feffy um, means that you we just hike really fast. So usually we hike a little bit apart from each other when we go together. But, but he has the same pace uphill and downhill. I think that's part of my personality, <laughs> how I face things in life in general. Mm-hmm. I like to just do them as quick as possible and be done with them soon. So when I'm going uphill, I just want to get to the top. And at the top, I can take like a long time to rest, mm. to eat, to drink, to just relax and enjoy the view. But when I'm going uphill, I just like focus on going uphill and I try to keep my pace and just like go for it. The same with biking. Same like this with is biking. all aspects of Feffy being outside. He but, maintains but, a very consistent pace. But also in, in life, like when I have a break, I really like to focus like five six hours working on something uh and doing as much as i can and then be done with it instead of like dragging it for like weeks and weeks uh and if i'm not able to focus like really focus on one thing and it starts taking too long i get super bored and like i lose motivation so that's Mm -hmm. also part of like how i approach hiking okay so why don't you Take us back to the first time that you remember being outside. And I mean, this community isn't just about hiking per se or backpacking or being really intense. So it's the whole the whole feel, right? Just being outside. So what was the first experience that you remember when you were were outside? Uh, I don't remember one first experience, but I remember that as a kid, we used to go to the lake, um, basically going fishing, mm-hmm. uh, we uh my dad used to take us like hunting too so that was a lot of like being outside Mm. like walking for a long time um but also having fun because at uh, at the same time that we were gonna we were fishing then we're also like having snacks like having lunch preparing a barbecue Mm. and like having fun by the lake um Mm. so those are the the kind of memories i have uh Later, when I was like 19 years old, I started like camping and like actually backpacking. So first year of college, undergrad. Yeah, second year of college, Mm -hmm. more or less. Um, And at that point, I started like doing properly like camping and like hiking and stuff like that. Actual camping and such? Yeah. I mean, not very prepared in terms of equipment (laughs) and stuff, but at least I was spending like the nights outside. Well, let's let's speak to that. So I think that one big barrier that needs to be broken is the concept that in order to get outside, you need to have the backpack and the sleeping bag and the sleeping mat and the, the $200 gear set here and there. Or for instance, that you need to have proper hiking boots and you need to have trekking poles or spikes. And I think a lot of times that deters people from getting outside. And you are an absolutely phenomenal example of just tossing that to the wind and actually just doing it because you want to do it. So how did you find, for instance, you have a lot of gear now, right? We're, we're very prepared when we go outside and we've accumulated gear over the years and you have independently as well. 
So how do you think that contrasts with the first times that you were outside when you didn't have that gear? Do you find that it enriched it or that it took away or it just morphed over time? Uh, yeah, so there are many points there. Um, so one, for example, is that all of that fancy gear makes everything way easier. Like if you mm -hmm. have a really nice sleeping pad, of course you're gonna sleep better. <laughs> uh, if you have like a warm sleeping bag, also you're gonna sleep better. Uh, hiking shoes the same, etc. So that kind of equipment helps a lot to improve the experience and making it more comfy. Um, on the other hand, when I started doing those things, I just went with what I had. Mm. Uh, I remember that I used to hike with jeans, mm. with like street shoes. Same. Uh, I didn't even have a waterproof jacket, but I just went there. We got all mm. like wet. Things took so many days to dry and we were still wearing them like one day after the other like because we didn't have more things and the only backpack i had was one that my older brother bought for like a like school trip he had mm. and it's one of those that has like like metal frames oh yeah so and internal yeah internal no, yeah no or with external external, external. <laughs> very old school it's very old school yeah. but at the same time it's so painful to carry those <laughs> i remember yeah. them like getting cut on my arms while i was trying to yeah carry them <laughs> it's just because they, ha they also have screws and they were like cutting my skin at some point uh i didn't mind i used it like a few times and I was fine with it. I still have the mark, so yeah. it's just like memories now. Yeah. Well, the only thing for, I mean, there was a similar experience for me. Like I, I got really into being outside during undergrad and, but one thing I noticed was that I didn't have a hiking backpack until I had a college class that required that we had a backpack mm -hmm. and they had rental gear. Um, and that's another thing that's a really good point is that people can have rental gear and you can do that if you want to actually have the gear, but don't have the I don't know, either the desire to commit because it's also a huge space that you have to have for all your gear in your house or your apartment or wherever you live. Um, but it's also very expensive. So the only reason I have my backpack and I still have the same backpack is because I bought it for class. Yeah, and I think as, as you start hiking more and like going more outdoors, you start needing more things. So mm -hmm. I also bought my first pack, backpack when I was like 22 or 23. Mm -hmm. I still have it. It's a huge one. It's a 65 plus 10. <laughs> um, Wait, 65 plus 10. What is it's that? It's like liters. Like the main body has 65, a capacity of 65 liters, but it also has like an extra room on top. That mm, an extension, 10 liters. yeah. Um, but then that was way too big for a daily hike, for example, or when I started climbing, also mm. like carrying stuff in that one was like an overachievement. Mm. So I bought a, a smaller one, I think it's like a 45 or 55, I don't remember the number, uh, but it's easier to carry on a daily, on a day hike. Mm. Um, so as, That's as, a really big pack for a day hike though, yes, it generally is really speaking. Big. Uh, it's but way I, overkill. But I always, like now I also carry my um, camera, so yeah. and my lenses so I, I i found that that's what works best for me yeah feffy is one of those hikers who loves to carry everything himself um so there are photos of him we'll have to find one maybe we'll put it up and he has an entire like 65 liter backpack on his back and then on the front he has a backpack for all his camera gear yeah I and actually, he hikes by himself like this i'm a big fan of carrying two <laughs> backpacks like that one on, on the back another one on the front 
and it kind of like counterbalanced the way. <laughs> it's not yeah. optimal for most people, but I really like it actually. Yeah. Okay, so I, I before we jump topics, I want you to try to highlight. Um, are there anything? Is there anything that you found whenever you first started hiking without true camping gear that was really beneficial? For example, um, a lot of people have once they get into to backpacking, and they have one of those sleeves that goes over like the rain covers that covers their backpack. I uh, didn't even have and, one. Of yeah, those. and I, I still don't have one of those. Um, and what I do, and a trick that was passed down to me is that you take a trash bag and you line your backpack with it you put all your stuff inside and that way your everything inside your backpack is still waterproof over time everything that you need to be waterproof you put in ziploc baggies and those are really cheap options that you pretty much have just lying around your house that prevent you from having to go out and buy that extra gear yeah i agree that helps like in my case i didn't even do that i just didn't think about it at the moment. I was just like going for it. I just grab all my stuff, put it in the backpack, and went hiking, uh, backpacking and stuff. Um, like even in the worst case, if like, it's really bad if everything gets wet and it takes few days to dry. In our case, well, most of the stuff that was like outside got wet the things that were packed inside they were still dry so we managed to still mm -hmm. like be able to wear them um, again like those are like very cheap tricks that can improve mm -hmm. a lot the the hiking experience or like camping or like whatever uh, so i highly recommend to to learn about those tricks because when i was young i just wanted to go outside so i just mm -hmm. grabbed what i had and i went for it um now, in, in retrospective, it would have been better to just actually spend some time researching a little bit, finding those tricks like the trash bag or the Ziploc bag and, and make everything a little bit better. I found one of the biggest things, um, before we, we switch, I, I found one of the biggest things for me is that whenever I tell people that I'm going to go outside, so when I start talking about it, whether it's at work or at school or whomever I'm around, I find that those people generally throw tips and tricks. Everyone wants to talk about the things that they know how to do. And that's how I learned a lot of different things like that. Um, but I, I think one caveat is that it's really beautiful to just go outside with what you have. Like even during grad school, I went hiking with Megan in a snow hike and we hiked with, with jeans. And that's really dumb <laughs> at some point. I mean, it's beautiful to be like, yeah, I went and did it with whatever I had, but now with synthetic materials, for instance, even just leggings or, or pants that are synthetic, like athletic gear, is way better than jeans, for example, because there are some conditions where it's really cold and if you do get stuck, being wet is a really big disadvantage and can be very dangerous. Yeah, but I, I also think that depends on what kind of hiking you are doing and like the weather mm -hmm. and all that stuff. If it's going to start raining, then yeah, like wearing jeans might not be the best option mm. but if the weather is kind of like mild or like a little bit chill or like sure. there's no risk of rain you can just go with it absolutely and, yes and i also found that um well i lived in the u.s for seven years and there the philosophy is totally different like once you want to start doing something the first thing you do well at least where i live which which was cambridge mm. so it's like a little bit fancy but uh, when you want to start doing something, you just go to the store, buy a buy whole everything. bunch of equipment, and then you go for it. Like, it happened to me when I was, like, 
playing soccer. People who wanted to join us, they just went to the store, bought a soccer shoes, soccer chingans, yeah. soccer shirts, soccer pants, like everything. Yeah. And then they used them for like, I don't know, a few times mm-hmm. at most. I think that more important than just going and getting equipment is just like go and do it. Even if you are, yeah. have shitty shoes, it might hurt the first time. You might want to get used to that kind of like distance hiking with shitty shoes. Again, it's not the optimal thing, but I think just once you have the motivation, just mm. go for it. The equipment doesn't really matter. I think another good point that you brought up is that if you just go for it at the beginning, you also gain that experience of what do you want, right? Like what if you go and you hike and you do something really extreme and you're like, this is not for me. Or my ankles hurt while I do it, so I need high top boots versus low top. Or I hate the feeling of boots and would never do that, so I want a pair of five fingers, for example, that are like basically walking barefoot. So you can, I think it starts to give you a flavor of what you actually want, what you feel like is missing, um, and, and how you can can adapt from there, basically, with what you have. You don't need fancy gear. Yeah, and that's like part of learning by experience because the first thing that you might think when you're going outside is just wear tennis shoes. Mm-hmm. And those are fine if the, if the hike is flat, if there is like grass and stuff like that, but once you start getting into the sand or like, sandy Mm. terrain and everything is slippery then you're gonna be like yes i need something here Mm. something like uh that has more grip or something that has more support on your ankle and yes so like the same experiences are gonna tell you what you need and then you're gonna find that okay i need to do my research here and like Mm. like to find something that works for this that solves this problem etc so speaking of research let's shift gears So let's talk about something that I think is a huge barrier to getting outside, specifically when we think in, let's talk in terms of U.S. mentality, where to go hiking or to get outside is to go to a state park, to go to a national park, to go to something big and grandiose and have an entire vacation planned around it, right? So do you find that to be a barrier and... And how have you countered that? Because going from other places, for instance, when we traveled around Mexico, there aren't an exorbitant amount of parks with trails. Um, when we're here in Chile, it's also the same thing. There aren't an exorbitant amount of trails that are well laid out with detailed maps. The accessibility is different. How do we how do we handle that? Yeah, um, so there are many things there. So, for example, when we went to Mexico, the, the parks there had a different philosophy, like it was mostly for families there to go together, have a barbecue, have snacks. There were, I remember we saw a lot of kids playing around, so it's not like hiking stuff because there were no trails, but there were camping sites uh, with camping tables to have their like barbecues and stuff during the day. And it was packed during the day. It was packed, like yeah. so many people. Um, in Chile, it's kind of like a mix of both because we also have national parks. Uh, we have national reserves that have some uh, trails. Um, to me, uh, sometimes it feels like, yes, if you want to go like outdoor hiking stuff, it has to be to a national park. Mm-hmm. And I don't fully agree with that. Uh, it can be like any place, basically, like, like a pond or like a lake, or like a river just like hearing that sound is taking you outside 
So it's not only about the, the parts, the huge parts. And also at the same time, I think there are like a lot of people focus only on natural parts and they kind of forget about mm. the smaller parts. Uh, I remember like the natural forests are like wonderful in Montana or Baxter State Park. And they're in, free. They, they are free and camping is free uh, off season. I think on season they charge you. Ah, yes, uh, yes, yes. That was in, we were in Lola? No, no. no. Lolo. Lolo. <laughs> Lolo National Forest. Lolo National Forest. Baxter was also, did we Baxter pay for State camps? Park. Uh, yes, we did We pay. did, but did they have off-season rates? Yes. Uh, but also, like, maybe they are not as popular as Yellowstone hmm. or Yosemite, but they are very nice to spend a weekend there. Yeah. But one thing, um, okay, a couple of points. One, national parks have a national park pass that if you're going to go throughout the year is definitely worth purchasing. Um, it makes accessibility financially much more available. Um, and then one other point that I wanted to highlight. Yes. Yeah, so let's talk about transportation. So you talked about accessibility in terms of entry and what's available, but also um, let's do two points. So how do you get there? One. And then... How does the amount of people at those places affect your personal um, interaction with the park? So if we go to a national park and it's really, really busy versus you go to something that is um, a little bit more isolated or um, with less people, how does that change your experience? Okay, so in terms of accessibility, <laughs> yeah. in, in the U.S. is very or at least I found it very hard to get to a place without a car. Do you drive? No, I don't drive. I, I hate driving. <laughs> I, How old I are like you? biking. I like hiking. Yeah. Like human power. Mm. Uh, but Fefi um, is a very avid biker. He's phenomenal. Uh, sure. <laughs> but <laughs> in, in terms of accessibility, if you don't have a car, it's pretty hard. Yeah. There is like one bus to go somewhere, like to a part that is like... At, when I was living in Boston, the closest, like big... Uh, I don't remember if it was like a, a natural monument or forest or whatever, but it was the White Mountains. Mm. And all the people were going there to hike. Uh, but I, I, I found it so hard to just take a bus and go there, which is not the case in Chile. In Chile... The philosophy behind it is that most people don't have cars, so there is there, there are buses everywhere. Mm. And there was one time that I went to this national park. Which national park? Uh, Conguillo. Mm -hmm. And I didn't plan much because I'm not really into planning. So I just went to the closest uh, big city, Temuco. I took a bus there. And then at the terminal, I just asked, like, how do I get to Conguillo? And they told me, well, that bus is not running because it starts running in January and that was end of December. And I was like, oops, then, well, what am I supposed to do? And my question was like, what's the, what bus can I get to get as close as I can to Gongio? And they told me, well, you need to take a bus to Melipeuco and from there you can take a taxi or whatever. And I was like, sure, just give me a ticket to Melipeuco and then I'll figure it out. I ended up hitchhiking to get the national park it wasn't that hard mm. there is always like there's another that's another thing that in chile there is a philosophy of hitchhiking especially in the south yeah super nice so yeah we experienced this whenever we were in the south of patagonia we yeah. went and it was my first time hitchhiking 
And the mentality is very, very different around it here than in the U.S., for example, or in Canada. It's it's very different. And you see a lot of people that are willing to mm. pick you up, even though in, in one case, the, the person who picked us up, the only thing that asked us was to get his laptop from the back and put it in front. Because mm. one time people stole their laptop. Stole from him, yeah. So even in that case, he had suffered that robbery. And he still managed still to pick up anything. But I think, okay, I think there's one point, a big caveat here, for instance. What about anybody listening who has a family? That's severely limiting. So I don't know of good alternatives whenever you have an entire family or you're on a time crunch, right? Like you have a very limited amount of time, but you want to get outside. That makes it a really big challenge. It's a huge hurdle yeah. to get to somewhere that has green space, that that is commonly thought of right again national parks state parks that kind of concept um yeah, and whatever verbiage is applied to that globally I, I agree like i can i can say all those things because i was hitchhiking by myself or we were like, and a you're couple, a man and, and i'm a man i i have those privileges mm. but and i i understand that if you're a family is it's harder for you to just take a bath with like two kids, three kids, whatever. And, and all the and gear carry for family, all their yeah. stuff. So yes, a car is much better in that case. But but let's take a let's take a step back for that and go back to the point of, of doing something local. Like I remember whenever I first moved to Boston, which is where Fef and I met, um, it was the first time I did not have a car and was living in a city. And I remember the first weekend that I was there after I moved in, I decided like I wanted to get to a park. It had been a really stressful move. It had been a really stressful transition. And for me, being outside is my reset. It, it puts things in perspective. I, I zoom out instead of micromanaging everything. And it gives me that sense of, of perspective. I don't have a better word than that. Um, but I remember that I was very new to biking in a city. It was terrifying. It was illegal to bike on the sidewalk, which was an absurd idea to me. So biking in the street with cars in a very hectic city. Um, and I wanted to go to the closest, I think it was a park nearby. I don't even remember the name of the park. Um, but I, I couldn't bike because I was too terrified to do it. So I ended up taking the bus. And I remember it was on a weekend and it took me... I think four hours to go like less than 10 miles away and that's absurd like growing up in Kentucky and being able to drive wherever I wanted having a car in Houston and having the luxury to drive three four hours and be in another city there's our dog um it's just a total a total flip so I remember the challenge of even getting somewhere that was really really close um so what what do you have to talk to that like is there a way to get outside without having like what have we been doing here in quarantine so when we were here in quarantine how did we still find ways to get outside yeah that's a little bit hard like i remember that to go to closer places in 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 boston i used to bike like Mm. hour and a half biking was enough to get somewhere like to to walden Walden pond Pond. yeah Yeah. i remember the, the we also had the option of taking the T, mm. taking the metro. The T is there. the metro, yeah. Yeah, uh, that also takes you to to other places like Salem and like okay. places around there. I didn't use it that much, but I think there are still options. Um, I also remember like one place uh, in near Mendoza, Mendoza, Argentina. Mm. Uh, Mendoza is a city, but uh, when I was hiking there, backpacking. We just didn't want to stay in the city because of 
the price. It was just too expensive. Uh, and there was a campsite. It wasn't that crowded because people just don't go to the campsite there in the city. Uh, but it was like walking distance from the city. And it was nice enough. It was like once you get out of the city, everything becomes like totally different. Um, so I, again, this idea of like of going to the national park is not the only way of going outside. You can just like go to the suburbs or like whatever and try to find a place that doesn't look like a city. Or for instance, like when we were in Cambridge, there was a park right beside us and it wasn't a park with trails or anything, but it had nice walking paths. And so we were able to go outside and we were able to get there even on our way to and from the grocery store, right? We were able to walk through a park, which changes everything. It makes it a little bit more enjoyable. It makes it a little bit more relaxing. Yeah. So with with all of that in mind, why? Why do you like to get outside? What does it do to, for what does it do for you? And why did you find that in college? Why didn't you find it later or before? Well, what I like about being outdoors is just the sense of calm that brings you. Mm. Uh, that's why I don't like. And coming back to your previous question, I don't like when the parks are too crowded. But more <laughs> than that, actually, the thing that I don't like is the philosophy behind a park that in mm. some cases looks more like a nature museum. And I'm thinking about Yellowstone, for example, where yes. like huge crowds of tourists come and like basically go from one geyser to the next one just like stations just like okay let's mm. stop here for five seconds let's move to the next station five seconds and keep moving and, and everyone's on their phone and, and taking videos and photos yeah and it, it doesn't look like they are enjoying the outdoors it's basically like a nature museum yeah. uh so to me that's the, the the sense that i search for when i'm outdoors or in nature just trying to like get out of the stress of the city, get out of the stress of life in general, and like find a calmer uh, environment. And coming back to what I was saying before, that to work, I need to really focus on something. That's also part of it, because to focus on something, I really prefer silence. I don't like being like constantly like, distracted by other things like noises or like move, motion or like light or whatever <laughs> I, I say that, that because I, I, I prefer to work at night yeah because everything is, it seems like dead mm. and I, I really like that and that's also something that I find in, in nature and you also know that I don't like talking too much when I'm hiking uh, I just yeah, go Fethi for it. Yeah, likes to hike in silence. In silence because I'm like in my thoughts, I'm just thinking about things. I'm, mm. I let my mind wonder like different things that maybe I need to connect in my mind or whatever. And I don't like, I don't like to get bothered by other things. But at the same time, my senses are aware of what's around it. I can hear the, the leaves or the, the little birds or like animals or whatever. And, and that's what I like about nature and being mm-hmm. outdoors. And you're going to find that even in the city, if you just like go a little bit outside the city, you already find that calmness there. Mm-hmm. And and you get away from the stress of the city, the noise, the cars. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I said that. I don't like cars. <laughs> but I think it's clear. You get away from it and your body and your mind enters in a state of like relaxing. So... With all of that, and I have differing but uh, similar opinions on it, why do you think that so many people 
have this huge energy barrier to getting outside? Why do you think that so many people don't take to outside more than others? Because I think they are used to this lifestyle and I don't think it's that easy to go outside in the sense that you are in an environment where there's not much space for mm -hmm. that. You you have like responsibilities and I don't know, paperwork that you have to do, bureaucracy and just stay in the, in the same place. Everything that's... Are you talking about being at home? Uh, being home or like being okay, in Okay, so the you have responsibilities at home. Okay. Uh, because when, when you have some time free... And I see it around here in the neighborhood. People wash their cars. They ah, do yeah. like chores. chores like <laughs> so they fill their time home. with chores, yeah. Because they, basically during weekends or like long weekends or holidays, they, they don't have time during weekdays to do all those kind of mm. things. So they spend weekends and holidays doing those things. Yeah. And if you don't do them, then you get back. If you go outside, you get back and things are not done at home and you mm. still have to do them. And at the same time, the kind of entertainment that people have now, it's just like, it's still indoors, like going to the mall or like uh, watching TV and stuff like that, or even like going to a coffee shop or like mm. a library, everything is indoor, which is fine in some sense. Like you still get entertained, you get distracted from other things, but I think it's missing that part mm. of like calmness that you get in, Interesting. Being outdoor. Interesting. Yeah, that is a really big, big deal. I mean, chores are a huge part, especially like as we talk about more complexity, right? Like if you're a single person living by yourself, your chores can be done on your own time, right? Whenever you feel like something is messy. But if you have a partner, if you have a family unit of some sort, that changes. The demands aren't, it's not a selfish perspective anymore, right? You have to be accountable for, for everything that is there and anything that relies on you. I mean, for instance, we have two dogs and <laughs> that's a huge amount of effort. And that also, that's a whole nother episode in itself is how to even get outside with dogs and how to travel with dogs. But I think my, my perspective differs a lot in what I consider, what I hear from a lot of people. And maybe it's just an excuse and, and they find the other things to be the real problems. But I think that comforts are comforts that we're acclimated to and that we're used to are different outside. So, for instance, if you go to even a local campground, right, or even a local park that's not even a state park, that's just right beside you in your neighborhood, all of a sudden, bathrooms are different. You don't have accessibility to electricity, per se. You don't have accessibility to cook and heat something up, make a cup of coffee, make a cup of tea, like whatever you have. Even trash, like you have to pack it out. And all of a sudden, everything that we've become used to and we've built up around us completely flips, right? It changes. And I think that... I mean, heaven forbid, like we jump to backpacking concepts where people have to poop in the woods, right? <laughs> I mean, no, I know so many people who want to go outside and who will not go or who just don't go to the bathroom while they go on a camping. That was me for a long time. Like before I actually like went to the bathroom in the woods. I mean, I've always been comfortable peeing in the woods, but like before I was actually like the sense of freedom that comes from that until you experience it. I don't think pe people are just really shy from that. But I, I also think that Okay, that, that's true. I also think that there are a lot of people with the same philosophy of like all those commodities they have hmm. and they try to take them outside and then <laughs> yeah. to the campsite. And that's fine because it's already a change of environment and that mm -hmm. helps. It's a totally different experience. But I've seen people like carrying like 
small TVs or like with antennas Seriously? or like radios. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of people who who bring like speakers to put some mm. music on and stuff. Uh, they pack their car for only one weekend. And that's fine. I think that's totally fine if they want to keep all those commodities and they are able to do it for like a couple of days. Mm. That's fine. Also, that's part of like going outside because it's also trying to find your lifestyle and how your personality and your needs fit. Mm into that concept of being outside. I know this is a, an interview and it's supposed to be your main perspective, but another point that I, I see really frequently and I, I think would lend itself to a lot of people, especially people who are who are working a remote job right now. Um, a lot of people who work remotely, who travel in vans or who travel full time, um, taking your computer and your full setup, right? Your planners, your notebooks, your like taking a cup of coffee and a lunch and your computer and going to a park, whether it's a dog park or just an outdoor park and a picnic area, that can be a total game changer. It gives you a space outside where when you're not staring at your computer, you get to stare at trees beside you um, or the ocean or the lake or wherever, right? You, you can be all sorts of places. But I think that especially if you don't have the luxury of having a balcony or something outside of your home, if you live in an apartment in a big city, it's a concrete jungle, just going to that for the day um, maybe provides you an opportunity. So maybe there's an advantage to that, um, allowing you to work remotely and offline a little bit. You get to streamline your thoughts. You don't have the the cloudiness of everything um, being around you. Yeah, and that, that totally makes sense. Like if you have that yeah. freedom that you can work remotely and you just need your laptop and some sort of internet connection or like not even internet connection, but just your laptop. Yeah, just to work offline for even a few hours, right? Yeah. Even if you just get outside for two, three hours, you write all your memos you needed to write or you, you work on that document in your Excel sheet, yeah. whatever. And, and, and in my opinion, even if you just go outside and you spend the whole day on your phone checking Instagram or listening to the podcast, mm-hmm. still fine. Like you are outside, it's a change mm-hmm. of environment. It's a whole totally thing. Totally All right. Different thing. Yeah. So, okay, let's jump topics again. Let's go back to what you mentioned in the very beginning, solo versus groups. So can you give us a really cool story of a solo hike? Favorite, worst, just give us a cool story. Solo? Uh, yeah. I like, okay, I'm going to preface this as I really like going solo <laughs> or I used to like back in the days when I was younger, because we already talked about how I hike and how I don't, mm. lo- I don't like talking. Mm. I hike very fast. So going with like a group of people always means slowing down. Mm. And actually that makes me feel more tired because my breathing is like different. My, my, the, the way my muscles work are different, mm-hmm. etc. Um, so w- one good experience I remember, uh, was when I went to Kongiyo mm-hmm. because tell us a little bit more where is Kongiyo and, and what is it and what, what is it Kongiyo is a national park here in Chile mm-hmm. it's in the south it's called the Araucanía region mm-hmm. in Temuco and um, what's what are the top things in the park why do people go well <clears throat> in Chile basically every time you go to the mountains you see volcanoes and lakes mm-hmm. sometimes glaciers too uh, this park also has a lot lots of Araucarias what are Araucarias? They are native trees here mm-hmm. in Chile. Um, what, what was the name in English? Monkey. They call them monkey puzzle trees. Yeah. <laughs> They're fascinating. If you don't know what they look like, take a second, pause this, and Google monkey puzzle tree. 
And there are these exquisite trees that grow very slowly. What's the rate of growth? I don't know. It's like a few centimeters per year. It's really slow. They're a native tree to Chile. I think it's and... like 10 centimeters per year. Oh, okay. They, they but it's really it's grow. inconsequential. It's so tiny. Um, and, and they have these spikes. So their branches, when they fall, they turn brown. And they're, they're just these, almost like a cacti, but not at all. They have so many spikes on them. And their seeds are entire like spheres the size of footballs that hang from these trees and then drop pine cone-like things. Okay, continuing on. Yeah. So there's fascinating trees. The flora and fauna here is very, very different than anywhere else in the world. And what else? What else does the park have? Describe, paint, paint a picture. Uh, they have some trails to the volcano. You can actually cross to Argentina if you, ho- if you do the whole traverse. But there are some really nice views of like a mix of like lakes with the Araucarias mm. and the volcanoes on the background. So it's really beautiful. You can uh, you can search. Okay, I'm definitely here. gonna put some you don't have to search it. I'm gonna put some resources up so that you guys can see a picture of this tree that we're talking about and you guys can see the place that Fef went and did a solo hike. Yeah. Okay, tell us about your experience. So I like that one because I went there uh, for New Year's Eve, so I got invited to a barbecue with people I didn't know. We had a great time. I oh, so wa- this isn't a solo experience. It's not entirely solo. Okay. Because there's no such thing as a solo solo experience. You always run into some other people on the trail, and you kind of like make friends. Uh, that doesn't mean what that. If, I what if you spend- don't run into anybody on the trail? And that's is that a solo solo experience? Because. In all the hikes that I've done, I've never been like solo, solo for like... Okay, but but let's but let's back... I'm going to redefine solo then. So solo meaning you're carrying all of your gear. That's the big difference in my head is that solo means that you are carrying everything you need. You're not splitting up weight between a group. Yeah. You're not relying on anybody else. If you forgot matches, you can't rely on person A, B, C... Like but, you're but, by yourself. But that's, what, that's, that's what I'm doing. Uh, that Sorry, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You're not into the wilderness. You're not like by yourself, like building shelters and stuff. I. But all the hikes that I've done solo, I've never come across another person on a trail. So I'm by myself. Like if I forgot matches, like I'm fucked. Uh, yeah, that hasn't been my experience. <laughs> okay. Like even okay. like I did one hiking trip, backpacking trip with... Uh, with a friend in Iceland hmm. and even in that we ran into more people at the campsites because there were like I don't know four or five other people hmm. not many and to get to, from one place to the next one it was like five six hours and there was like only one ranger in like all of the campsites that we stayed at but it wasn't solo solo Okay, so let's not argue the semantics. Then. So you went by yourself I to this park. Myself. You took all your gear yeah. and you got there by bus, by bus and then by hitchhiking. Yes. Okay. And I The way I do it is just I camp in one place mm-hmm. and I do a lot of trails, like every day a new trail and I do it on my own. Uh, in some of those trails, I might have been by myself the whole day. Uh, but that's not usually the case. I, you, you usually run into more people, like at least a couple or a few. And and again, like I like the freedom of like planning my own stuff. Like I go try this trail or go all the way to the end. And I know that this might be kind of special in some way, but I usually don't eat that much when I'm hiking, don't drink that much water because my... I, I don't know, maybe I'm just making this up, but... 
my body doesn't feel it, doesn't need it. So it doesn't feel like drinking water, it doesn't feel like eating, but at some point I kind of force myself. So uh, another experience that is kind of related to what I was talking about was one hike of nine hours that I was camping with friends, but they didn't want to do that hike, so I did it on my own. I still ran into like a couple of other people on my way there, but the only thing I grabbed was 1.5 liters of water and which is not enough water in general when you hike that far like you take more water than that let's just make that really important just don't follow my (laughs) this is not an advice just don't follow my example but i took 1.5 liters of water and two pieces of bread that's it and i managed to do the nine hours hike with that so i wish you guys could see my face right now I, i already said that i am like my body behaves in like really weird ways when i'm hiking but since I have very low requirements for everything, it, it kind of like makes everything easier for me. But I feel own. like it's really important to have a PSA right now, a public service announcement that um, that's not a good mentality in general. Uh, this is just uh, my own personal advice is that if you're out there and something happens and you're stuck overnight, all of a sudden you have 1.5 liters of water and two pieces of bread for an entire day that's now turned into two. So, in general, just take some more food, please. It's, it's a really bad advice. You know? <laughs> and I, I don't think I do it anymore. Although my requirements still like very low. Maybe only because you hike with really me. it's really bad. No, like in general, <laughs> I've learned that. So, one of the things I always try to carry now is like jackets, even if it's like mm, super layers. hot, like layers in case something happens, like a lamp, some sort of lamp, maybe a headlamp okay, or like lamp. whatever. Yeah. Um, any sort of like light um mm, yeah. but also like water food mm. uh, I, I think i've changed You've gotten in that better. Sense, but yeah. see that that kind of goes back full circle to your point where at the beginning okay a nine hour hike is excessive whenever you're not carrying much of anything but the general premise is that if you do a little bit of research to get in or at least you're somewhat aware and safe about it you can do so much with essentially nothing yeah. And that's really, really powerful because all of a sudden you go from something that seems insurmountable to something that can definitely be done and it can be done in one day. Um, and I think with that, that experience then begins to build. So now you take layers and you you figure out when you're sweating to, to deconstruct that and to like to put those back on and to take extra food and whether that's just a few high, like high calorically dense food options of like bars, for instance, I'm not a big fan of granola bars for trips, but well, it'll be another talk where we actually discuss like food and everything. But for instance, having a few extra bars that have a couple hundred calories per bar, like stuffed in the bottom of your pack, should be in the top of your pack for accessibility, but stuffed into your pack, <laughs> I digress, is really important. Having extra batteries for a headlamp is really important. Having a rain layer, especially when you're in cold, like for instance, in New New England, in that whole area, when you get to the top of the mountain, even just a 4,000 footer, it is insanely different from when you're on the ground. It can go to below freezing in a few, like in a few hours of a hike and you need a beanie and a puffy and a raincoat and blah, 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 or you're going to get really cold. And, and that's very common there, actually, that yeah. when you start the hike, it's super hot, like it's a little bit wet, you start sweating, you change clothes, you put some t- mm. a, a t-shirt and a short, and you start hiking, and when you get to the top, 
it's cold, it's windy, it's cloudy, it might be raining. Mm. So that's something that you should keep in mind. That's something that comes with experience though. I think the first time anybody does something like that where they're going up in elevation a lot, it's, it's a huge shock. You're not used to the climate changing that dramatically. Um, or even whenever you come around a curve, right? If you, if you get around the other side of the mountain, all of a sudden you can have a huge amount of wind. And especially like Fefi was saying, whenever you're hiking, you start to sweat, right? So you start to strip layers. Like as soon as you start sweating, you strip a layer. And you have that accessible, ready to put back on because as soon as you pause, even for a 10 minute pause, right? Just to eat something, to take a drink, to take a rest, or you get on the other side, you need to layer up immediately because it will get cold and your sweat will make you really, really cold, like to the bone cold. And it's really hard to shake that, even with movement. Yeah, and also like now that I have more experience, like every time I took my, my I take my jacket, mm. my in my in my jacket pockets, I have a beanie and I have gloves. Yeah. So by default, when I carry my jacket, I carry all of that stuff too. Yeah, and I think that's something that I also carry now, even if it's like seemingly a summer kind of hike. Like, I mean, if it's true summer and you're just going on a day hike and you know there's not a big elevation change, you're going to be fine. But I mean, even if you get drenched in or downpour, like you're not going to get so hypothermic that you're going to to get into any kind of serious uh, emergency situation. But I think that for me, even if I know that there's a slight chance, I still at least pack like double gloves and a beanie. And I always carry my rain jacket with a puffy. My puffy goes down to like nothing in terms of size. And I keep those accessible. But for instance, like one good example is when we just went hike, we went hiking the other day with his brothers um, and we went up and we got in the snow. We, we went, it's like coming into spring here in Chile. It's in the opposite hemisphere. So we, there's still snow on the top. We ended up using ice spikes and trekking poles. And I had my raincoat. It started raining and I was really warm. So I didn't want to put it on top of my puffy and my puffy got wet. And I'm very, I mean, I was aware of it, but I'm also very lucky that it didn't continue to get colder as we went down, when we turned around pretty early on, um, it, it stopped raining and it didn't get any colder. It only increased in temperature. So I was lucky. But those are some things that even with experience, you still kind of, I don't know, become blind to or just become, ob- I mean, I'm not oblivious to it, but I was just, I just decided not to do anything about it. And that's kind of stupid in the, the end of it, and, at the end and of it, it. It takes some time to find your, your comfort zone in mm. terms of temperature and like, if you're sweating, if it's raining, yeah. if it's windy, because in that hike, I kept taking my jacket off and on, off and on, because mm-hmm. I was getting very warm, but there was a really cold wind. Yeah. Um, so trying to find the balance in that case was a little bit hard, uh, but eventually just like with experience, you know more or less what your body needs mm-hmm. and that's super. another advantage to building up gear over time though right because you can have underlayers and you can have specific the better gear you have the easier it makes that but you can still do it with like a tank top with a long sleeve shirt over top with a sweatshirt and then something else sticking away from cotton is better but i also even with knowing that i still prefer to hike in a lot of cotton because i, I find it way warmer cotton. and yeah. softer and but it's, it's really bad if it gets wet it's really bad if it gets wet so that's why you should be carrying other layers to yeah. protect it from water but i also carry cotton because i like my hoodies yeah I, I just have i have one experience i know this isn't my interview but i have one experience where the just to 
hit home the importance of carrying second sets of things, especially socks. Like if anything, at least carry two pairs of socks, like the pair you're wearing and a dry pair, even if it's only a day hike, because I hiked the Narrows in Zion out in Utah and I went underwater. Like I slipped on a pass through and I completely submerged head to toe. And it was, it's a canyon hike. If you don't know the Narrows, um, it is a slot canyon hike for 16 miles. And I went under, luckily towards the end, but it was so cold because the sun only hits the bottom for about not even an hour window per day. Um, And if I hadn't have thrown my backpack over to the other side, my backpack also would have gone under. And I didn't have dry sacks at that point. I didn't have that kind of gear. I had it lined with the trash bag. Um, So I'm lucky that another group told me to toss my backpack over. These like group of German guys caught my pack and they actually had to help pull me out of the water because it was so strong. Um, And I was wearing my full gear. I was wearing my boots. I didn't take my boots off. I didn't take anything off. Um, And I was fully soaked. And I could not swim because I was wearing a bunch of cotton and a bunch of clothing (laughs) piled on. So luckily I had a full change of clothing. My boots were still wet, but that's the whole hike anyway. So irrelevant. Important thing. Okay. So you told us a solo story, kind of, an experience. I really want to hear a story. And I think everyone would love to hear a story of one of your adventures uh maybe the the iceland story yeah i don't know do you have a, do you have a favorite story that you want to share and and kind of a takeaway from that favorite story yeah what about the one that you fell and cut well, yourself yeah, and well, like the, fell down the, a ravine the iceland story is a good one i don't know if it's my favorite though i still your favorite then i i still have good memories of that trip though because the the landscape was really nice so i went there with one of my friends and we met at the airport because he was living in the UK. I was living in the US. So we met at the airport. Uh, we started hitchhiking. Is this the Fernando and Fernando story? Yeah, the Fernando, Fernando, <laughs> Fernando Square. <laughs> and we went to this like very remote place called the West Fjords in mm. Iceland. Not many people do that, but they, like in the touristic information office or whatever, they. Are these the that photos really that you have good. on your computer that are absolutely phenomenal, like yeah, pa- painted pa- with like colors? Part par of those pictures are from that trip. <sighs> okay, we're going to put one up so you this, guys can this see This place it. was like very remote. Uh, they told us that each campsite was like five, six hours away from each other. We had to follow the trail. And well, according to this person from the information office, it was very straightforward, like the... the was really easy to follow um but it wasn't uh, anyway so we did that hike there was did you have what wind. kind of maps did you have uh we did have uh i don't i probably we didn't have a map of the trail <laughs> no no yeah we we, we did have Surely one map of, a... of the area but uh, okay so as soon as we got to the island to the fjords because we had to take a ferry mm-hmm. to get there there was another couple of hikers and they were carrying GPS. Mm, and yeah. we were like, yeah, that's we are not really as nice. prepared yeah. as them. So mm-hmm. we only had like a paper map and that's it. But you had a paper map, a yes. printed map. Yeah. Okay. That's one point From that I, I think is really important is that do not just rely on your phone. Most places you go hiking, um, even if it's pretty close to where you live, you'll drop service. So download anything, take photos of something and turn your phone on airplane mode so that you don't drain your battery. Um, print your maps. And if you're going on a backpacking trip, don't take paper maps. Take something that is laminated um, or waterproof maps because if anything happens and you lose your map, then that's a little risky. Mm-hmm. 
GPS for really long backpacking or like really remote places is very advantageous. Neither one of us have a GPS though. I no. They're very expensive, like hundreds of dollars. I, I for use just the, a the basic one from one. my phone sometimes, and that actually yeah. is like helpful. Bad. But in general, if you end up taking your phone and you need to take a battery bank, you know, you need to take some kind of a solar charger and. And those are also expensive. The batteries and all of that stuff, it's weight and it's it's expensive. Okay. Get a paper map. So um, So with your paper map in hand, you guys went. I, yeah, we started hiking and the, the first day was wonderful. We reached the campsite. It was fine. Uh, the second day, same thing. I mean, we woke up and the wind was so strong that it bent all the poles from my tent. So... <laughs> Is that really why they're bent? Yes. Yeah, he has a tent and it's so crooked. Yes, that's from Iceland. <laughs> Did you have the, to the nail down on. your, like stake down your tent? Well, we forgot to do that. That's why they bent. But anyway, so the next day we woke up because of the wind. Uh, well, I, I woke up with one of the walls from my tent, like right on my face, like yeah. pushing me against the, the floor. And At least there were two of you in the tent, right? So it didn't yeah, go away. Yeah, so we just like started hiking and in the middle of the hiking we decided to stop and find a place like kind of like protected from the wind mm-hmm. to have breakfast we ate and then we kept um, hiking and the problem with that day is that we reached a point that we were supposed to get to the campsite and we were like I don't know like half an hour away from it one hour and we were feeling really good because we made it there early so we just laid on the grass. We started like chilling, like seeing, like, like relaxing. We took some pictures and stuff. And then we started seeing that there was some clouds coming our way. Mm-hmm. And at that point we were like, okay, we need to get to the campsite first. Instead of just like chilling there. So we grabbed our stuff. We started heading towards the campsite. And we couldn't find the, the way to get there. Because you were supposed to cross a lake. Mm-hmm. And we saw the lake, but the lake had a lot of water. Um, so we we weren't sure that we were supposed that way. And if we were supposed to go that way, we didn't know if the level of water was low enough to cross it walking. So we started trying to find like an alternative route and stuff. And we saw the signs, like the arrows pointing to where the trail is supposed to be. But we our judgment was that the water level was too high for that. So we started going around the lake and that was way longer than expected. Mm. Uh, we started getting wet because it started raining, started like the, the wind was getting very cold and the, the coming back to the importance of layers. All, all the, the, the terrain around the lake was very muddy, mm. so it was really hard to hike. It required a lot of effort and we were all wet. And there was no way we were going to make it to the campsite. So we just decided to camp wherever, like any place that we found, it was like a little bit flat. The only requirement was that we stayed nearby a river so that we can have water. Mm. And we just set the tent there and stay there. And it didn't stop raining for two days. So the next day we just decided because it was too cold too windy we just decided to just stay in the tent and not hike at all and we we just ate like cereal bars <laughs> you were when you were mentioning you guys the cereal are really bars, underprepared 
We had a lot. <laughs> we had some other food, but we didn't want to spend it all in just one day that we were not doing anything. Um, Did you take enough food to we, account we, for an extra day? We had, uh, but we were not cooking at that point. Yeah. Uh, that day we didn't cook, so that's why we just uh, okay. ate cereal bars. Okay. Anyway, so after all of these, two days after we arrived at that place, we decided to keep going because. When you go to the West Fjords, you have to announce the day you are arriving and the day you are leaving. Mm. And we were not going to be able to, to meet that deadline because there was a ferry waiting for us. Mm. So we decided to keep going. That was a very bad day because first mistake we did is that we needed to cross a river again. And at that point, we had such low morale that I was like, let's just cross it. And we, I crossed it with my shoes on and my socks on and that's probably one of the worst things i've done hiking yeah ever. it's a really bad thing because shoes take forever shoes take forever to to drive but also the rest of the hike you just like walk and you you can hear the squishy like mm-hmm. psh, 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 mm. when all the water is yeah. is absorbed by the shoe and every time you step on something you can hear it and it doesn't dry ever and it makes everything uh heavier mm. so it was awful but we kept walking. Mm. Uh, we lost the trail a few times. We couldn't find it because there was like lots of clouds, also fog, so it was hard to see where the, the, the trail was. But we were going, mm. we, we were doing well until we reached this part of the trail where you're supposed to climb a little bit. We were not able to find like a clear Like bouldering? Trail. Like kind of, kind a, of bouldering. what is it called? Um, Just when you climb over big rocks. Scrambling. scrambling 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 okay. yeah so scrambling so, so big rocks big climbing was it safe yeah it, it was safe but and you we, had to climb over to we place. reached a point where we kind of saw like a wall and we didn't see which way people were actually climbing that mm. it wasn't like a huge climb but you just have to like a, a little bit like two three meters or like three meters i would say okay uh so i'm i'm trying to find like a route my friends also trying like exploring different and this is with full backpacks on. With two full backpacks, gear. one front, one back. Oh, you had two. Yeah. Okay. Like, like I want, <laughs> like I like to. We should also post a photo of that. Do you have uh, a photo of that? Of the accident? No, of you. <laughs> uh, you haven't gotten to the accident. So anyway, Good foreshadowing. <laughs> at, at, at that wall, I'm like testing some things, like grabbing things to see mm. how, how robust they are, if they are going to hold. And I saw this big... Grabbing some rocks. Yes. Like trying to see, like find like holes to uh-huh. climb and like uh-huh. being able to keep going. With hiking baits. With hiking. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so we, we are exploring this and I see this like huge boulder and I grab it because I saw like, I, I don't fully trust this boulder, but I grab it, I pull it and I was like, okay, it's strong enough to hold me. But of course it wasn't. So if you are testing those things, you are applying your own force and your own force is not as strong as your whole weight once you start climbing. Mm-hmm. So I just went for it. I grabbed that boulder. I push up myself and that whole thing just like, just came like loose from the whole structure. Mm-hmm. And I basically fell on my back and started like rolling down the, the hill which was a little bit steep mm-hmm. and I was on that thing just like rolling down like doing kind of like backflips 
And at some point, for like a few seconds, I thought I was gonna stop rolling. And I, I look at the sky, and then I saw the boulder that I grabbed originally. Mm-hmm. It's like falling, coming by my, like rolling by my side. Mm-hmm. And it hit my left foot. And then it kept going, pa, 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 and stopped. And then because of that momentum, mm-hmm. I kept rolling down until I finally stopped. And I, I managed to stand up. Uh, my friend was like shocked. Like his face was like, what the fuck? And like, and he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, But yeah, you're quite a, quite a ways okay. away from him at this point, right? You're yes. not right beside him. Yes. So did he yell to you? Yeah. Okay. But he saw me and I was like, I'm fine. Like the, the way I react to those things, I just keep going as the, the best I can. So I stood up and I started climbing up again to where he was. And I realized that I wasn't strong enough. I needed to sit down. So I sat down. I started drinking some water. I checked my left foot, which had like a huge bruise. Mm. Um, luckily, I didn't get injured or anything. Uh, I mean, I, you did get injured. You didn't get injured severely enough to, yeah, to I mean, be I debilitating. Was able, I was but... able to keep hiking. And um, your knee? Yeah, my knee had something. I don't really know what happened there. Maybe I hit a rock or something, but there was a hole in my pants. So I was like, maybe I got hit on my mm-hmm. knee. I lift one of the, I lift my pants mm-hmm. and to see what was going on. And I was bleeding. I mm-hmm. had like some sort of hole. I was able to see something like white inside, whether it was like bone or tendons or like mm-hmm. nerves or whatever. I have no idea. But I saw that. I tried to put something around it. So I stopped bleeding. Uh, there was nothing serious there, but... Okay, so just, then what? So you got back up? Uh, well, I saw, also saw, more. like, my jackets, like, mm-hmm. they, they were ripped, like, by the, the, the chest, like, mm-hmm. the, the left side of the chest, the heart, more or less. There was something ripped there. There was a hole, too. I don't know what I hit, but rolling But down, this was the path. Was this the trail? Like, do you, it, was this was the path the you were supposed it to go It was the through. trail. But at that point, it's not that clear, so people were taking different routes. So that's why we were mm. testing what, what was like. It seems very enough. dangerous for a hike. It, it is, it is, it is. And the way the tourist information office portrayed that hike wasn't what we experienced. Mm. It was a little bit harder, uh, maybe way harder. Yeah. But that was my mistake. So How so? Like be, what would you have done differently in, in a really because sh- I like think brief way? So, sometimes that you have to trust is your instincts. So when I pull and I pull down that boulder... And I was like, yeah, it's strong enough. I feel like deep inside I knew it wasn't Mm. because that was the main reason why I tested first. I tested it and I pulled it because I knew it was not going to be strong enough. And then I decided to do it anyway. Mm. So it was partially my mistake. Um, And after that, uh, we were in the middle of nowhere. There was no Mm. way I could have just stayed there like waiting for something. So I just told my friend to just keep going. We just go, go, go. That's the way I approach things. Mm-hmm. Just go, go, go and keep going. And it was very hard to keep um, hiking because of your thoughts are around that yeah. accident. Like what could have happened if and what if. And you start thinking about those things and it's really hard. So <clears throat> before we were talking about this calmness that you find in nature. Mm-hmm. At that point, when you have all those thoughts in your mind, that mm-hmm. calmness is actually like 
some sort of enemy because there's nothing else you can think about there's nothing else you can talk about there's nothing to distract no, you no more people so you just have to deal with them yeah. you are on your own But for example, this is a really good instance that kind of contradicts what you were saying earlier in the sense that you talk about how whenever you were hiking a lot, you never hike solo. Like you're never truly alone. But without your other Fernando being there with you, you wouldn't have seen anybody else. Yep. So even though you're in a group, even though you're with somebody at that time, you're still alone. Yeah. And so if either mm-hmm. one of you had forgotten anything, that's why it's so important in some capacity to gain that experience and to learn how to plan and to learn what you need to take and to, I mean, whether you tiptoe into it or whether you dive in, learning that and listening to these kind of things and like reading about stuff and experiences or just experiencing yourself is really important. Yeah. So, so what would you what would you say to somebody? Do you have more of the story? Well, basically the rest of the story goes well in the sense that <laughs> he got to the next campsite. Luckily, there was a ranger there. Ah, okay. He had some like first aid kit that mm-hmm. helped me. Uh, we just rested. We decided to leave from there because mm-hmm. there was also like a ferry from there. So we we paid a little a little bit more because it was a longer trip, but we managed to get out of the West Fjords uh, completely healthy. Well, that, well, mostly healthy. mostly completely. So, what would you? Okay, let's let's shift a little bit again. What would you give people as an advice when they're first starting out? So rather, I don't know, maybe they're ready to dive into something like this. Like, what would you say is a your biggest piece of advice across I, all boards? I will say that if you really want to start going outside, mm-hmm. being outdoors, just go for it. But find things that are easy to do, like find a trail that is flat, that is short. Uh, in, a, in a place that you know it's not going to rain, it's not going to be cold. Just do easy stuff first mm. because then you're going to start like going like a little bit of a higher level, like mm. a hill or something. And at that point, you're going to be like, okay, I need more, I need more, I need this like equipment or I need like a better uh, like training or like whatever. Or like you're mm. going to start like getting to like, okay, I know what kind of food to take, how much water. Um, yeah. But also another thing that I didn't do, and but I would recommend other people, is to join like a group of a club. Mm, they yeah. have more experience. Again, trying to find something that is for beginners. You don't want to go and like hike like a big mountain on your first trip because instead of enjoying it, you're going to be miserable and you, <laughs> you are not going to want to do it again. Mm. But having other groups, like a hiking group, that actually helps because they know more than you yes. probably. They all they are prepared. They might take like extra food for people who doesn't mm. didn't take that much food or something. Or they're gonna give you checklists. They're gonna walk you through yeah. stuff. They're gonna give you an overview. They're gonna teach you how to to read maps and stuff. So what are some? Let's wrap this up. What are some resources that you think are really good for people when they're first starting out? In the last episode, we talked about um, motivation for getting outside some really quick resources for getting outside how to start to look for green spaces around you so maybe building one step further um for instance i know that you and i have done some rei classes don't recommend them that much the classes we took were really mediocre um but those are resources what are some other resources that you think that would be good for people to to learn a little bit if they want to go a little bit more prepared yeah i'm gonna repeat this like joining a group 
Yeah, but how do you find the group? Get more specific. Well, you you can go to well, there are Facebook groups. There are like mm. actual established groups that go hiking, mountaineering, Where? and how stuff. How do you find it? I usually find them through Facebook groups. Okay. There is a Facebook group uh, for like hiking and outdoor stuff, and mm. people post things there. And I I heard from people who also do meetups. Mm. They they do like short hikes or like a trip to some park and stuff that's actually very helpful other things is youtube like watching a lot of tutorials on like how to pack your stuff or like what to take mm, yes that may be useful but again uh, i think it's better to experience it on your own mm. and your own body and your own yes. like experience is gonna start telling you what you need to to get yeah mm. that's gonna be a future episode is for instance like how to pack your pack yeah and at the end of the day it doesn't matter what i tell you what you hear what you see on youtube you're gonna have to figure out how to pack your own pack for yourself because what's your priority is going to be different than other people's your body weight ratio is going to be different than other, which changes your center of gravity all of that comes into account for a pack yeah, uh, it, what it, kind of trail you're hiking where you're hiking what you're hiking what your gear is for instance if you want a camera and I don't have a camera in my pack, it's going to totally change the layout and the weight. And at the same time, like coming back to a point that we made to before, you don't need fancy equipment. When I started hiking, I was just like filling up plastic bottles with water yeah. and I like, carrying two of those to yeah. make like a total of like three liters of water. Now I have my camel back, my mm. bladder. And it's so much better to carry it in a backpack on your back because it doesn't hurt your back. Mm -hmm. So those things that, can be improved and you're gonna probably experience in the future at some point like if you keep carrying like plastic bottles and your back starts hurting you're gonna be like okay i need something else something yeah. better and then you're gonna go and buy one that suits mm -hmm. your body and suits your needs yeah. but as a starting point you can just carry whatever yeah okay i have one more topic that i that i think is really important and that i want us to hit um so i know this is a little bit long but we're gonna keep going so I want you to give your opinion on what you think there are some key differences between hiking for males versus females, what you've experienced on the trail, whether you've gone with groups, um, and your perspective on what changes from being in society as a male or female or non-binary and ethnicity. Do you figure, do you find that that drops out in the force? I know this is a pretty big shift in topic, but I think that's one thing, for instance, that I take to the trail is that I feel really empowered when I go by myself or when I go in groups. And I feel that things are really different in the forest versus in the city, in the society. So what do you, what do you think about that? Uh, I think they are different. Yes, the, the whole experience is different. Um, from my experience, it's again like hiking and camping something that is mostly made by men mm. um it is, is a very male dominated area yeah and because we have this conception of like male being in the wheel in the wilderness in the wilderness yeah. like i i know surviving by himself <laughs> like fighting bears and stuff and, and that's fighting fighting bears <laughs> yeah okay and i i don't think that's the right way of mm. seeing outdoors outdoors is just to have fun it doesn't have to be climbing mount everest every weekend it's just something to go and enjoy if it's with friends nice if it's with a little bit of music also nice mm. 
I personally prefer other kind of hiking, but that's also like my own preference. You can go and like have fun with your friends, like if it's, even if it's just camping, like just to have lunch, to cook some stuff, have a barbecue. But but what that that what does that change if you're male or female? I I don't really know why okay. we have this perception of like that hiking and all, all doing all this stuff is mostly for men. I don't know. And Isn't I, that because society's perception of men is that they're strong and they're independent and they're sure, powerful the, and they're they, there is they dominate there. the wilderness yes. and uh, and I in that sense and and you join like a group of uh, women mm-hmm. hiking. Yeah, I think it's important because that empowers. Yeah. people um female in particular to go and like do it by themselves yeah. and i've in my trips when i hike my myself i've seen uh women camping by themselves and yeah. it's not common at all because you mostly see men doing that and yeah. Yeah, I think this will be a whole separate topic as well. And I've got some other people lined up to to interview who are going to provide different perspectives on this. So I just wanted to enter that topic because I think it's really important. Um, and this goes beyond just hiking, right? This goes for the climbing community, for kayaking, for rock climbing, for whatever you have. Well, climbing and rock climbing are synonymous. Um, but outdoor, even hunting, right? Hunting is a really big outdoor thing as well. And, and this community is supposed to be how to get outside, right? It's not just about hiking. So I, I think that all of those tend to be quite male-dominated and having that discussion is really sometimes very helpful in changing the mentality and framework around that. Um, and I think one big thing is, for instance, like the fact that you've seen solo female campers and hikers is really, really important and how that interaction with them, like empowering it and, and making it seem very safe can be the biggest game changer because somebody's first experience can set their their perspective on it and their taste for that for the rest of their life. Yeah. So um, I think it's an important thing to consider. Okay, do you have any other major points that you want to take away from all of this? Anything you want our listeners to hear? Well, uh, I think we've covered a lot of stuff, <laughs> like equipment, like getting like High level, your yeah. first experience mm-hmm. outdoor, yeah. like being solo, in group. I think... More importantly, and I'm going to repeat this, is your experience. I, I hope that the f- if you haven't been outdoors, if you haven't been hiking, and this is going to be your first, first experience, I really hope that it's wonderful, that you enjoy it, because otherwise it's going to kill all of your motivation. Mm-hmm. Uh, because hiking is, is just amazing. You yeah. just go into the nature, like not even just hiking, but like camping or like being outside. It's really powerful, and I think more people should get into that and mm. more people should have the opportunity to, to do those things. So, yeah. Okay, I'm going to steal the mic for a little bit. So with that, I want to thank Fefi for joining us on To The Trails podcast. And I want us to go ahead and know that there will be resources online. Um, there are going to be some links to different groups. I'm going to show some examples of Facebook groups that you can join. Um, basically, if you go on Facebook and you type in where you are, and you type in like women specific or men specific or whatever um, identifier you have, those will be really invaluable resources for you. Um, I'm also going to post some of the specific apps that I've used um, and that Fefi has also used some specific resources online to find different trails, downloadable maps, that kind of thing. They are all free, all accessible and um, available to, to join a conversation around whatever you find useful. 
So if you find something else useful, I'd love it if you guys would post it. Any other, any other things to wrap it up? Okay, well, thank you guys so much for listening, and I really, really appreciate Fafi being here. Do you have anything else? You want to say bye? Yeah, bye. <laughs> bye, everyone. I hope you enjoy outdoors. Um, I would like to, to tell you guys that if you guys want to go back to the other episode and listen about motivation, that kind of ties into this as well, you know, why you want to get outside. So with that, I thank you guys for listening, and I can't wait to see you guys next time on an episode. See you then. Bye.